Hello and welcome to CBS Radio Mystery Theater from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Each of us has, I believe, a sense of honor. Though we don't talk about it, or perhaps even know we have it, yet we know or feel that there are certain things we simply would not do, would not say, would not permit ourselves even to think or feel. Things that would devalue us in our own eyes, cheapen us, degrade us, make us less worthy of respect even, and perhaps most of all, self-respect, which is, I think, our most cherished possession. Such is the nature of the thing called honor. Such a lovely day it was. The bluest of blue skies. Little shreds of pure white clouds. A pair of cardinals wooing each other in the big elm tree. It seemed there had never been such a day. And I felt triple smug as I contemplated the tea I'd set out for us. Tiny sandwiches, cucumber, watercress, and pastries so light and fragile they melted in your mouth. I sat back and looked at the others, enjoying themselves. My husband, Arthur, my son, Paul, and his fiancée, the lovely blonde Enid. What a day. What a day. Precisely what I was thinking. What a day. I hereby nominate this day for day of the year. All in favor? Aye. <laughs> there never was such a day. Exactly what I was thinking, my exact words. You two do that often. Do what? I think the same thing at the same moment, the same words. Well, come to think of it, we do. Oh, wait till you and Paul have been married for 30 years. You'll see. It's one of the rewards of marriage. Uh, offsets the penalties. Oh, Arthur, really? Oh, only teasing, my dear, only teasing. All the same, we agree, it's a great day. A perfect day. There'll never be another one like it. Now, you're not going to believe me, but that's what I was thinking at that very instant in those very words. I mean it. It's true. Enough about this day. What about the big day two weeks from now? What about that day? Oh, yes, the day of the Braithwaite Award. Oh, that. What do you mean, oh, that? That is a very big thing, a great honor. I know. I was just rehearsing being modest. <laughs> as befits a great man such as myself, or as I shall be once I've received the Braithwaite, I expect all of you to let me go through doors first, <laughs> give me the best part of the steak, address me as sir in low, hushed tone, rise and bow as you enter the room. I know how to curtsy. <sighs> I learned years ago in dancing school. I never knew it would come in handy, but now... How would it be if we all just agreed to be silent while you talk? I think that would about cover everything. <laughs> Forget all the other tokens of respect. Just let me do the talking. And I promise not to quote from my own books. Oh, that's asking too much. What else would you quote from, Professor? Uh, Shakespeare, Homer, Plato, Pliny the Elder, Pliny the Younger, all those fellas. David Meyer? Oh, of course, David Meyer. David Meyer? Who's David Meyer? Winner of the Braithwaite Prize last year. And Arthur's best friend. He'll be the one to present Father with the prize. Oh, how nice. Yes, isn't it? Oh, it's exciting. Of course, there's another exciting day coming up. Shortly after. Why, whatever do you mean, Paul? The wedding, of course. 
Oh, yes. Yes, the wedding. Are you sure you want to tie yourself to this young man, Enid? <laughs> Positive. Risk your business. Now, Arthur. Marriage is full of pitfalls, hidden risks. Look who's talking, the perfect husband with a perfect wife. Enid, if Paul gives you any trouble, at any time, I want you to promise me one thing. And what's that, Professor? You'll come to me. Well, all right. Personally, I think she should come to me. Well, you're the last person to... Now, listen, there isn't going to be any trouble. They're both young and beautiful, and they're going to get married and live happily ever after. There's always trouble. Oh, you know what? It's getting chilly. Always. Why don't we go inside? Of one sort or another. Oh, Arthur, stop mumbling. We're going inside. Let me help you with the tea things. Oh, thank you, dear. We'll just pile everything on this tray. Come on, Arthur. We're all going inside. You go ahead. You're not coming? Soon. I'll join you in a minute or two. Oh, Enid, let Paul carry the tray. It's too heavy for you. You sure you want to stay out here, Father? It's really getting a little chilly, Professor. Mm. Hardly any sun left at all. It's the blue hour. The most beautiful time of the day. The blue hour? Is that what it's called? Yes, the hour before the light fades. Hmm. Yes. Everything is blue, isn't it? Even the air is blue. And the day is going to end, but it's it's waiting, putting it off, hesitating, giving us one last chance to see all the lovely things before they vanish. Well, beautiful as it is, I'm beginning to feel a chill. So am I. Let's go in. Arthur, you sure? I'll join you presently. When the blue hour has ended. Oh, Needed and I piled into the house. We took the tea things to the kitchen and washed them. Then we went into the library, lit a little fire in the coal grate, and talked about plans for the wedding. Then Paul said he was going to take a nap before dinner. Enid had some notes to write, she said. And I, looking out the window that faced the lawn, saw that it was nearly dark. Not blue anymore, but fading to gray. And I thought with a start of my husband. He'd been out there for nearly an hour. Reproaching myself, I hurried outside. And there he was, just as I'd left him. Arthur, what's got into you? It's been almost an hour. I'd have brought you a sweater if I had any idea you were going to stay out this long. Really. At your age, you should know better. Now, come along. There's a fire in the fireplace. You can warm yourself. Arthur? Did you hear me? It's getting dark. Arthur? Are you all right? For heaven's sake, say something. Say something. Help me. What? What did you say? Help me. What do you mean, help you? With what? Help me, Emma. What do you mean? You help, help you to get up? Are you... Are you in pain? Pain? Where does it hurt? All around me. What do you mean? How can it hurt all around you? Strange. I feel... Strange. Strange? What, what does that mean? Just... Strange. All right, I'm going to call a doctor. No. 
Don't do that. Arthur, I can't let you sit there. Let me call a doctor. That nice one that lives down the road. No, doctor. No. Why not? For heaven's sake, why not? I wouldn't know what to say to him. You don't have to worry about that. He'll look you over and... He won't find anything. Arthur, my dearest, what is it? Tell me. Tell me. What is it? I don't know. But you must know. Now you think. You think. I can't. You mean... You can't think? It just happened. What? What happened? I don't know. It just... Sweetheart, listen, listen. We were all sitting here having such a good time. Paul and Eden and you and I. We were. Were we? Uh, You certainly remember that. I think I do. You think you do? It was only an hour ago. Is that all it was? Then we went into the house and we left you out here because you said you wanted to watch the blue hour. You remember saying that, don't you? Somebody said that. You said it. You said it was the most beautiful time of day. I guess I did. I guess I did say that. But that was before. Before what? Before. Before the terror descended. I don't know how I got him into the house and up to his room, but with coaxing and begging and threatening, I did. Otherwise, I firmly believe that he would have sat there staring into the approaching dark forever. I did the only thing I could think of under the circumstances. Every time I entreated him to let me call a doctor, he stared at me with an agonized expression and begged me not to. But I was lost, helpless, was desperate. So I called David Meyer. David, is that you? Emma? Oh, I'm so glad I reached you. What is it, Emma? Something wrong? Terribly, David. Terribly wrong. Is it Arthur? Yes. Yes, it's Arthur. Except that it... It isn't Arthur. It isn't Arthur at all. Try to tell me what happened. Take it easy now. Try to tell me. I don't know how to tell you. He says he's not sick. He won't let me call a doctor. What does he say? He says... He says... The terror descended. What? What was that? The terror descended. That's all I've been able to get him to say. The terror descended. What on earth could that mean? I don't know. I don't think he knows. Do you want me to come over there? Oh, David, would you? Of course. Because I don't know how to deal with this. It's just something beyond me. David, it's an evil spirit. An evil spirit that has got into my husband. Arthur is possessed. Possessed by an evil spirit. What is the mysterious thing that can happen to any of us to transform joy to despair? Gladness to misery. Need it be a cataclysmic event? A sudden and terrible loss? A failure of effort? A failure of love? I don't think so. I think that it can come from something so minute that there seems to be no way to discover its origin. For all I know, or anybody knows, it may well be an evil spirit. I'll be back shortly with Act Two. When you're looking for a durable cord for any household need, let True Value Hardware Stores show you the ropes. 
Hi, Pat Summerall to suggest you see their wide selection of quality rope products from well... We don't believe in evil spirits, or do we? How often do we say, I didn't do that, or I don't know why I said that? Then why did we do that unintended thing? Make that involuntary remark? Think that unbidden thought? Did we do it? Say it? Think it? Feel it? Or was it some discarnated spirit that slipped into us and lodged there, changing us into something we scarcely recognize and do not wish to know? What was it Emma had gasped out on the phone? Arthur is possessed, possessed by an evil spirit. Now, I, I had known Emma almost as long as I'd known Arthur. Why, I'd been his best man at their wedding. And a steady visitor at their home ever since. And what a happy, cordial home it was. They'd built a serene and harmonious existence for themselves. They relied on each other for courage and support. As only two people can who love deeply. Arthur had uh, achieved distinction in his field, and Emma was happy for him without a trace of envy. What conceivably could have happened to disrupt their lives? I hurried as fast as I could to their home, and with the familiarity of long, intimate friendship, went immediately to Arthur's room. Arthur? You in there? It's David, Arthur. I'd like to come in. Arthur? Arthur, I'm coming in. How are you, old friend? Oh, Arthur, don't. Don't turn away. Please don't. I'm here to try and help. You know that, don't you? No one can help. It just happened. What happened? It happened. The thing happened. Can't you tell me a little more about it? You're David, aren't you? David Meyer. Well, you know I am. My friend, David Meyer? You're not saying you don't recognize me, are you? Oh, I recognize you. Well, <laughs> you see, you can talk to me. I, I recognize you, but I don't... I don't... Yes? You, you don't what, Arthur? I don't know you. Oh, Arthur. I know your face. I know your voice. I know your name. I know that we've been friends for years. We were in school together. Graduated college. I know. I know all that. You stood up for me when Emma and I were married. Yes, that's right. That's right. Then why do I feel that I don't know you? Arthur. Oh, Arthur. You are my friend, my oldest, my closest, my best, my dearest friend. <laughs> you, you don't know how you tear my heart out when you say you don't know me. You are so precious to me, Arthur. You are one of the few really valuable things in my life. And those things are rare, believe me. There are very few of them. To lose you, I was sorry. At least I... Think I'm sorry. I, I I'm not sure. Couldn't feel worse if I if I'd learned that you'd died. 
Well, perhaps that's it. Perhaps I'm dying. Oh, don't talk nonsense, Arthur. You're here. You're, 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 you're well. You're, you're talking to your old friend. I'm David Meyer. And your family, Emma and Paul, they're right downstairs. And Enid. Enid is there. She and Paul are going to be married. Yeah. <laughs> you see? You're perfectly all right. No. No, because you, Emma, Enid, and Paul, you're all characters in a book I read. Don't say that. Or a play I've seen, or a motion picture. And, and you know what? Tell me. I'm a character, too. I'm perhaps the leading character. I, I'm not quite sure. Oh, please, Arthur. Or am I dreaming everything? Have I dreamed my whole life? Never lived it at all, just dreamed it. I thought I was living it. Arthur, try and tell me. Try hard. What is it you feel right now? Can you give it a name? A name? A name? It must have a name. Doubt? Doubt? You said doubt? Doubt and despair and no help anywhere. And with those words, Arthur turned his face to the wall. And nothing I could say made any difference. He would not speak to me again. At last, I surrendered to his indifference and left the room. Uh, downstairs, a young, pretty girl came up to me. Oh, oh you must be David Meyer. Oh, and you must be Enid, who's going to marry Paul. Yes. Paul's mother said she'd call you. Yes. She's very worried about her husband. Yes. She thinks an evil spirit has entered into him. Uh, something's happened to him, that's certain. Whatever it is, it happened so suddenly. Uh, how did he seem to you? I... I can't describe it. A sort of, uh, detachment. A vagueness, uh, separation from reality. Something like that. He says he feels as though he'd dreamed his life. Never really lived it. Hmm. A man like that, with all he's accomplished. He said he recognized me, but he didn't know me. What a strange thing to say. And finally... I begged him to try and tell me exactly what he was feeling. Put it into words. And he said, and a chill went through me, I can tell you. He said, doubt, despair, and no help from anywhere. Doubt, despair, and no help anywhere. Mm, that sounds familiar. You mean... He said it before? No, 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 he hasn't. But somebody, somebody did. Oh, there's uh, somebody you know? I don't think so. I, I don't hear anyone saying it. I, I think I must have read it. I majored in English literature in college, you know, and I read a lot. I have an eidetic memory. I remember most things. I must have read those words. Or words very like those words. I know. I know where I read them. Henry James. Henry James. I've... I've read all of Henry James. I don't remember... No, no, his father. Henry James Sr. Ah. Yes. Yes, and it was in one of his books. It, it happened when he was feeling quite well. After a comfortable dinner, 
And the family had dispersed and left him gazing into the fireplace. And suddenly he, he quotes somebody. He writes, Fear came upon me and trembling which made all my bones to shake. Shakespeare, maybe. I don't know, but he goes on to say that it was an insane terror with no obvious cause. He could only think that there must be some damned shape squatting in the corner and sending out from its fettered breath personality influences fatal to life. <laughs> well, you really do remember what you've read, don't you? Well, what you said brought it all back to me. Uh, the last sentence I remember perfectly. I can see it on the page. An ever-growing tempest of doubt, anxiety, and despair with absolutely no relief from any truth I had ever encountered. What happened to him? Oh, uh, the doctors told him he'd overworked his brain. Others said, and they say it to this day, that he'd suffered a collapse. Possibly due to the intrusion of an evil spirit. That's Emma's theory. Hmm. But I don't believe it. Do you? I don't want to. Well, then don't. Huh. Come back to see him tomorrow, will you? And the day after, and the day after that. And you? Will you look in on him whenever you can? Every day. Together, Enid, together we will exorcise this evil spirit. I left the house with a lighter heart, a springier step. <laughs> this young creature with her amazing memory and her unconquerable soul had put new life into me and fresh determination. Life gives us few friends that are durable, and I wasn't about to lose one without a struggle. By ten o'clock the next morning, I was knocking on Arthur's door. It's David Arthur. I'm coming in. I'm back. As you see. Uh, is it all right if I pull up a chair? Because I'm planning to stay a while. Stay. Thank you. I was also planning to have a little talk with you. Okay. Okay. Oh, good. I met your future daughter-in-law on my way out yesterday. Enid. Yes, Enid. She happened to remember. And she has an astounding memory, that girl. She remembered something that Henry James Sr. wrote about a, a seizure of some sort he had. And this was way back in 1884. Well, Arthur, it sounds remarkably like the thing that happened to you. Henry James? Sr. I look it up because I thought you might be interested. You are, aren't you? Yes. Now, it happened in a lightning flash, he writes. Yes, yes. And seemed like an insane and abject terror. Yes. Within ten seconds, he writes, he felt himself reduced to an absolute wreck. Yes, yes, yes. A, right. An almost helpless thing. Oh, yes. He wanted yes. to shout for help to his wife, to anyone. Passers-by on the road, anyone at all, anyone who would protect him. Oh, poor man, poor man. I know, I know it all. No help anywhere, no help at all. Only despair, doubt. Despair. I thought you might feel better. A little. To know you're not the first. Or the only. I, I do feel better. Less alone. Thank you. 
Arthur, what interested me was that James felt this sudden terrible onslaught after an unusually pleasant meal with his family. He felt vigorous, even joyful. As you seem to have felt. Now, after all, you're going to be awarded the Braithwaite Prize. You knew that. I won't accept it. What? Not accept it? Oh, don't be foolish. I can't. I can't go through with it. My book's no good. Clearly, the committee thinks it's very good indeed. They don't know. They don't know if they knew. What is it they don't know? The passage on Swedenborg. Here. Here's the book. Page 138. Yes? Look at it. Look at it. All right. All right. You see what I mean? Swedenborg on the subject of vastation. Do you see the paragraph? Yes, yes, I see it. I see. What about it? I stole it, you fool. I stole it. Don't you recognize your own words? That night you were here, we were talking about spiritual experiences, and you uttered those very words about Swedenborg and his vastation. For heaven's sake, man, don't you remember? Well, yes, vaguely. Well, I stole your words right from out of your mouth and put them in my book. Sign my name. My name to your words. Oh, Arthur, that's all right. It's not all right. It's not all right at all. It's thievery. Out and out thievery. But I didn't mean to do it, David. I, I really thought those words were my own. Or no. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I knew all along they were your words. But nobody would notice. Maybe that's what I thought. Maybe I only wished they were mine. That I might have composed them if I'd been as clever as you. Half as clever. But I never have been. You know that. We both know that. How jealous I've been. So envious. Wanting to be like you. Sound like you. Right like you. I wanted it so desperately. I was willing to steal. To try and fool everyone. Fool myself. Fool you. I held him in my arms, my poor, tormented friend, while he sobbed his heart out. There was nothing I could say, nothing that he would listen to. I could not interrupt his mad confession to tell him that I didn't really recollect saying those words at all. And even if I did say them, I didn't consider them to be of any great value or significance. Such are the things that torture a man of honor. There is no escaping the palpable fact that men without honor lead easier lives than those who possess it. But if I can choose my friends, give me those whose sense of honor makes their lives difficult. I'd like to feel that I belong with them. I'll be back shortly with our concluding act. I could have had rye toast, 61 calories. I could have had 11 carrots and a glass of water. You could have had a V8. Naturally low in calories and tastes great, too. I could have had a V8? V8 cocktail vegetable juice with only 35 calories per 6-ounce serving. V8, the great-tasting, helpful blend of eight country vegetables. Wow, I could have had a V8. It's never too late. I'll have a V8. The South. The end of the Civil War and the beginning of a new life for those who survived its bloodshed. 
From this turbulent era of our great American heritage emerges the proud, passionate saga of one family, their plantation, and their dreams. Windhaven's Crisis by Marie Desjardins. The eighth book in the best-selling Windhaven saga, Windhaven's Crisis. New from Pinnacle Books, wherever paperbacks are sold. Every day, people face all sorts of tests. Driver's tests, tests at school, and every day, tests on life. Oh, Mr. Cadwell, you're next. Ah, uh, Mr. Cadwell, uh, please take a seat. Thanks. Are you ready for your test on life? Uh, I guess so. Well, don't worry. It's only for practice. This time, that is. First question. If your son broke your favorite fishing rod, would you, A, be understanding, or B, yell at him? Uh, was it really my favorite fishing rod? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, would you stab someone in the back to get a promotion? How big a promotion? Uh, I mean, I'm... Oh, a, come, come, Mr. Cadwell. Well, I... Gee, I don't know. Well, you can find the answers at your local house of worship. That's where you and your family can learn about handling the everyday problems we all face. Religion in American life, Mr. Cadwell. We need it. A message from Religion in American Life, the Ad Council, and this station. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks, and uh, see you later. You can count on it. Perhaps it is beginning to emerge that a sense of honor is related to that old familiar thing called conscience. But I think we will find that honor lies deeper in the human personality than does conscience. Conscience forbids acts which are not somehow right. Honor forbids those that, while possibly permissible, are somehow shameful or unworthy. Acts that a man of honor would not stoop to commit. I was very fond of the professor. I was determined to keep the promise I'd made. I was eager to keep it. To visit the professor each day and try and fathom the strange, deep melancholia that had overtaken him so suddenly. I didn't meet with much success. Who is it? It's Enid, Professor. Oh, Enid. Does that mean you don't mind if I stay a while? I thought it might be David Meyer. Do you find it easy to talk to him? Oh, a little. Because you've known him for so long. Is that it? Uh, I know you've only known me for a short while, but I've gotten the impression that you like me. I certainly like you. Uh, don't you think we could... Well... Could you talk to me a little? Maybe not the way you talked to David Meyer, but... That was different. How? How was it different? I, I, I don't know. But I feel sure that you do know. You, you just don't want to say it. Isn't that right? Well, strictly between David and me. Strictly. Oh. Well, then I don't want to intrude, but... There is something between you and me, don't you think? No. But I'm going to marry your son. Nothing. You're going to be my father-in-law. My my own father is dead, you know. I was hoping maybe you'd sort of take his place. At least in some ways, a little ways. 
Isn't that possible? Not possible. Oh. Well, then I'm going to be disappointed. A father is a father. Yes, I know, but... Uh, well, I, I hardly knew my own father. I, I was very young when he died. It's only natural that I'd want an older man to, to look up to and admire and have faith in and believe in and... You really don't want to talk, do you? Can't. Can't talk. All right. I'll, I'll leave you alone then, but uh, I'm warning you. I'm coming back tomorrow and the day after and the day after that until you decide that I'm a safe person to talk to. Because I really am, you know. Edith, I'm down here. Oh, uh, yes, uh, I'll be right down. Paul's here, too. Oh, fine. Did you... Did you have any luck with him? Not much, I'm afraid. I was hoping. So was I. Ellie won't talk to me either. Except things like time to change the sheets. He just says, all right, when I say it's time, and he gets out of bed and sits in the big chair by the window and stares out. And that's more than he says to me. He doesn't talk to you at all. Oh, first he tries to make believe he's, uh, he's asleep. Then if I tell him he can't always be asleep, nobody could sleep that much, he turns over and looks at me with the saddest expression. I know, I know. And if I try to say something, anything, he just turns his face to the wall again. So I leave. Seems to be what he wants. So I leave. I just give up. Well, I'm not giving up. Well, what can you do? What can any of us do? Not give up. That's what we all can do. And I didn't give up. I went to his room every day. I talked of everything I could think of. The Braithwaite Prize, the wedding, where Paul and I would go on our honeymoon... When we planned to have our first child, if it was a boy, could we name him Arthur? Could we find a little house near there so we could all see a lot of each other? What had Paul been like when he was a little boy? Oh, everything. <laughs> Sometimes he'd say a word or maybe two, but mostly he looked at me as though I were a strange intruder on something that didn't concern me. He was breaking my heart. But he was making me angry, too. I know, Enid, I know. It can be infuriating. But you said he talked to you, David. Yes, yes, he, uh, he talked to me. He, he still does. So... Well, what did you do? What did you say? I mean, to make him talk to you. You, you must have done something. No, 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 I didn't. At first, it was just the same with me. No interest, no response. Complete indifference. I know. Oh, I know. But then, much to my surprise, my amazement, in fact, there was a breakthrough. How did it come about? What caused it? We, uh, rather I, started talking about the Braithwaite Prize. He's going to accept it, by the way. Well, of course he's going to accept it. Why wouldn't he? Uh, he had his reasons. Very insufficient ones, I might add. What were they, for heaven's sake? I'm afraid I, I, I can't tell you that. That's strictly between him and me. Funny. That's almost exactly what he said. To you? Yes. 
He said that talking to you was different, and I asked how, how was it different, and... Well, at first he said he didn't know, but I kept after him. I felt, I felt sure he didn't know, but he didn't want to say it out loud. And then he said, almost the same thing you just said, he said, strictly between David and me. And he repeated the word, strictly. Well, he was right. So, you're not going to tell me. No, no, I'm not. I can't. Well, if you can't, you can't. You're going to have to find your own way of reaching him. Enid, why don't you give up? Because I can't, Paul. I have. He's never going to snap out of this. Paul, you're talking about your own father. Oh, I'm starting to agree with Mother. He is possessed by an evil spirit of some kind. I know it seems that way, but... That's the way it is. Face it. I have faced it. Well, then. That doesn't mean I'm going to give in to it. I'm not. You think you can do battle with an evil spirit? You. Why not? I imagine lots of people are doing just that all over the world. Not doing very well, are they? Well, that's no reason to quit. If we quit, we're lost. Darling, I'm not trying to depress you. But honestly, I think it's hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. David Meyer made some progress with him. If he could, then I can. I I won't let such a wonderful man lose himself in depression. Hopelessness. Besides, he's going to be my father-in-law. Remember, when we were having tea on the lawn? He said, if you ever have any problems with Paul, come to me. It's a darn peculiar thing to say, I thought. I thought so, too. But he wouldn't have said it if he didn't have some affection for me, would he? Oh, he need. Give up, why don't you? I won't. I can't. I simply can't. <gasps> Paul. Yes, my dear. What now? I need to do something that will surprise him. Get his attention. Give him some sort of a, of a shock. Make him notice me, look at me, pay attention to me. Just what do you propose to do? I don't know yet, but I'll think of something. When I went to the professor's room the next morning, I was filled with trepidation. I had no confidence in myself at all. Perhaps I was simply arrogant to think that I could waken the professor to the joy of living expectation of happiness to the fun of everyday life. Paul was right. I hadn't known him long. I I didn't know him well. He, He might think me a presumptuous intruder. All the same, I forced myself to knock at his door. David? No. It's Enid again, Professor. Oh. I... Won't you look at something? Please? Please, won't you turn over and look at me? It's... It's a surprise. Just for you. You'll be the first person besides me to see it. The very first. Even Paul hasn't seen it. Please? Please, I want you to. Oh, thank you. Wedding dress. Yes. Yes, it is. You're wearing your, uh, your wedding dress. Yes, I am. <laughs> Veil and all. Mm. 
the wedding isn't far off, and, and when I walk down the aisle, Professor, I want to see you standing beside Paul at the altar. I want you there. I can't do that. Yes, you can. And I expect you to. Don't you know? Don't you know that I I can't? Don't you know that I'm the most depraved of men? That I am jealous of my own son. Jealous that he will have you to live with, to love. That I want to be like him. I want to be him, to be young and starting life with a beautiful, loving young woman to help me through that life with hopes and expectations. That the very sight of you raises desires that I have no right to. That to see you and Paul together at the altar would make me want to kill him and take his place. Kill him. My own son. Don't, 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 don't you know all that? No. No, I didn't know all that. Well, now you do, so go away and leave me alone. No, I won't. But you're disgusted with me. You know you are. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I, I'm flattered. Flattered? You're flattered? Well, what woman wouldn't be? Huh? A handsome, brilliant man like you finds her attractive, desirable. Now, what woman wouldn't find that flattering? You, you don't think I'm a, a contemptible old man? No. I think you're a sensitive, intelligent, loving, yes, and attractive man who cannot endure the slightest, most fleeting thought that crosses his mind if he thinks it's disloyal or unworthy. You are a man of honor, Professor. Unrelenting honor. And I shall be proud to be your daughter-in-law. left the room, we agreed that this little encounter would remain something strictly between the two of us. Strictly. And when I walked down the aisle of the little church on that most important day, there ahead of me stood my beloved Paul, and proud and erect beside him stood my future father-in-law. As I got close to the altar, I smiled at this most honorable of men, and sweetly, with perfect understanding, he smiled back at me. In the recesses of the human psyche lie the darkest of thoughts and desires. If we act upon them, we risk severe punishment. But in the minds of some, simply to think, to feel such thoughts and desires, is identical to carrying them out. Then ensues the most awful punishment of all, when the self punishes the self. I'll be back shortly.
Now's your chance to get a great deal on a Genie Garage Door Opener, the convenience appliance you use every day. With any Alliance Genie Automatic Garage Door Opener system you buy between July 1st and July 18th, you'll get a second transmitter free. That's right, a $29.95 value free, but only until July 18th. So see your participating Genie dealer today and let Genie open your doors. You've got a ticket on the Heartburn Express. And if one Rolaids tablet can't cut the mustard, you should hear this. Tums neutralizes one-third more acid than Rolaids. So when you eat more, feel more, and your stomach churns out one-third more acid, remember. Tums neutralizes one-third more acid than Rolaids. A message from CBS Television. Hello, this is Walter Cronkite. That is the Atlantic Ocean and some of its inhabitants. We also live in a kind of ocean, an ocean of air, resonant with the sounds and cries of a strangely beautiful music. The first movement, perhaps, of a perpetually unfinished symphony. It's the universe, and it's my new assignment. Walter Cronkite's Universe, Tuesday at 8, 7 Central and Mountain on CBS Television. We all love bargains, and here's your chance to get a bargain on a bargain. For this month only, Walden Books is offering fantastic bargains on hundreds of hardcover books by famous authors and outstanding publishers. We've got books by Stephen King, Rona Jaffe, Irwin Shaw, and many others, all at reduced prices. What's more, if you buy at least $10 worth from our wide selection, you'll get additional savings. So if you're looking for some good summer reading, stop by your local Walden Books this month and pick up your bargain on a bargain. The shock of discovering heinous thoughts and desires within ourselves can be a critically debilitating, even fatal thing. If we cannot forgive ourselves for being less than we would like to be, we can collapse and resign from life. This is a risk, a grave risk, which is run over and over by the man of honor. Our cast included John Beale, Terry Keene, Patricia Elliott, and Bernie Grant. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is E.G. Marshall, inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams.